everyone. Welcome back to the It's a Mind Game podcast. My name is Jade and I'm super excited to have Leilani with us today, who is a full-time lawyer, part-time nutrition student, dog mom of two, amateur food blogger, who has a passion for balancing work, study and chronic illness and health while focusing on all things foodie. Welcome Leilani. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be chatting to you today. Oh, I can't wait to have you here. I'm so sorry. I always get so in um, nervous on intros like I'm still getting over <laughs> it right now as we speak and I just wonder sometimes if the listeners pick up on it because I've commented on it a few times like no I didn't notice and then Not others are like oh I hear the stutter and I'm like I'm so sorry oh, I breathe really heavy <laughs> oh anyway nonetheless I'm stoked to have you here and you are one busy woman my goodness full-time lawyer part-time nutrition student wow Yes, I, you know, just when I thought it wasn't enough to be a full-time lawyer, I thought I'd go back to uni. <laughs> yeah, and what inspired you to get into nutrition? Was it your HA journey or had it already sort of been a passion for you? Um, it was a little bit of a passion before my HA journey, um, but funnily enough, not like a lot of people that I've heard from and spoken to who do uh, study nutrition or uh, dietitians or nutritionists they really got into it in high school or there was something really far back in their childhood but not not really for me I never really considered it as a, a passion or or even a hobby I actually hated cooking <laughs> <laughs> um, but now yeah I think it sort of it sort of sparked and started to become an interest when before actually having any health issues at all um, but when I decided I wanted to help other people and study nutrition again, it was after um, getting sick and um, learning that I have a chronic illness and then having HA on top of that, it really just solidified my, um, I guess, my desire and passion to want to make it something that's not just a side time interest. Yeah, so I guess that's a really nice place for us to jump into, I guess, the main reason you're here with us today is to share your, your HA journey. Um, and then perhaps we can touch on some of the chronic illness side of things, because, you know, it's something that many of us face and it, your journey might help other women that are in similar positions. So I guess jumping back to the very beginning, do you want to paint us a little bit of a picture as to what life was like um, when you're missing a period and food, exercise, stress, everything. Tell us the lot. Oh, well, I, I think I don't, I don't know if this is a common story for many women. So I think that's why I did want, why I wanted to share my story and why I am so open about it is that I don't know how long I actually had HA4 because I was on the pill. I went on the pill when I was 16. So I think I was on it for 11 years, no breaks, nothing. So I hadn't had a period since I was basically a child, since I was a teenager. And I had no idea what my body was doing basically until I came off the pill. Um, and your main reason for going on the pill at 16, was that because you were having horrible PMS? Maybe you're having skin breakouts? Because I know when I was 16, I jumped on the pill as well. Mum took me to the doctor she's got heavy bleeding and clotting and her skin's breaking out. She's, she's a mess. <laughs> and they had this magic tablet that fixed it all. Was that you as well? Yeah, that sounds pretty much exactly like what happened with me. Um, yeah, very, very bad PMS and lots of pain. And I'd always, I've always had skin issues. So mm -hmm. it was kind of a culmination of all of them. And the doctor was sort of like, go on this, this is, this will, this will fix it all. And it, and it kind of did. Um, I never really had any issues on it, but yeah, that was the kind of main reason I went on it. 
Um, but before coming off the pill and then when I realised I did have HA, what I was doing was kind of the same. Anyone who knows me knows that I'm, I love exercise. I love going to the gym. I love being active. There's, there's nothing, nothing that I love more. Um, and I started, I got into the gym probably about, oh, probably about six years ago. Never, I'd never done anything like it other than playing team sport. And I was always a really active kid, but never, never really into it like I was um, back then. It was all for, for health. You know, you, you hear the same sort of story. Yeah. I just sort of started dabbling in going to um, group fitness classes and things like that. But to, to summarise, what's a very long story is that eventually I just found myself in a place where I was, um, I was over-exercising, not realising it. I thought I was doing what everyone else was doing. I was, I'd hardly have rest days. I was basically thrashing my body. Um, some group fitness classes, a lot of that high intensity sort of, uh, sort of training. Um, but, and I think a common thing that I hear, have heard since sort of talking about my own story is the whole, um, how much your, I guess, identity and mindset is all tied up in that fitness identity. Even though I'm not a fitness professional in no way, shape or form, I still sort of had that, I was really fit, you know, I could lift heavy things and do all these things. And I, I really thrived on that. So I, that was, I was probably not, I was in a bit of denial, I think with where I was with my exercise and then food again, another exercise, another sort of um, in denial, I guess about that too, because I didn't realize what I was doing I didn't realize that I was under eating in the beginning um and then like I, I just wasn't eating enough carbs as well um and then having a really stressful job and I'm just that type type a person just naturally stressed <laughs> so it was all a bit of a perfect storm that's mm -hmm. that was where I was when I was probably in the depth of my HA I like that you touched on with the you know I could lift heavy things and I could say move really fast because there is that period of time where you are really enjoying training and it is an incredible feeling to know your body's got the capacity to do all these things and I do remember it, you know some of the pinnacle points of my journey as well I, I remember just finishing certain workouts and being like wow I did that and it does feel great and then you can't wait to prove it to yourself again that you can do it again and Yes, we, you know, overdo it and it leads us to HA, but especially in those early days, it's, it really is just striving for how good can my body be? Like how, how much can I get it to perform? How well can I feed it? And hindsight's a wonderful thing. And we can look back and go, oh, you silly Sally, like <laughs> a few wrong yeah. turns there. <laughs> but when you're in it, you really believe you're doing everything for the right reasons like this is what we do this is how we do it um and to break that cycle is a little bit strange and there's almost like a, a badge of honor that comes with it because even though you said you're doing what most people were doing you would have definitely been doing a little bit more than what most people were and it's like no no but it's okay because look how fit and healthy I am um when did you I guess start to recognize things were getting a little bit off path, whether it be social anxiety around food or maybe avoiding social events. Um, when did the, I'm just doing it for health sort of turn into, I don't know, I guess it's kind of taking over. Uh, look, it, it's, I can look back on it now exactly like what you just said. Hindsight is, 
is wonderful. I can I can look back at it now, but when I was in the thick of it all, I found it really hard to put my finger on when it when it did become an issue. Um, I think the biggest I, I never really thought that the training was a problem, um, but I think it was the other factors that made me realize that this was actually not healthy. And that was that was one of the, the biggest and most difficult things that I had to sort of realize is that I was telling myself I was healthy and I was doing all of this for my health. But what my body was telling me was the complete opposite of that. Um, so I think when I realized that this wasn't normal, how I was feeling, because I was I would feel um, I would feel anxious if I couldn't train. I would be I would be just racked with guilt if I couldn't train. I would never never really miss anything I would have my rest day was not really a rest day but I on my days off I still was active um I was always squeezing in workouts on holidays or no matter where I went I never missed it and then I realized that that was a problem that it was interfering with my I guess my happiness I was prioritizing that over um the things that mattered to me and then yeah I think realizing that not everyone felt like how I did around food and that also slowly, is, it was, it's very sneaky. It sneaks up oh, on yeah. you. <laughs> it just, I just didn't realise that all of a sudden, well, it felt like all of a sudden, but it wasn't, that I was feeling really anxious around food and uh, not having control over what I was eating. That's been a big thing that's come up for me is the control. Mm, it's almost like the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, we just add in one rule. And then one more rule and then one more rule and everything seems fine and we're getting positive changes from it well for the most part and then all of a sudden you just get that one last rule and suddenly you have that awareness of wow everything I do feels like a panic if it doesn't involve training or eating the food that I personally prepared or fitting in with the schedule that I predicted the night before um, suddenly everything is a shamble unless it's in perfect order and it is that chaotic feeling isn't it it's sort of unless it goes to plan I, I can't cope um could you maybe talk about some of the food rules that you had and what your eating habits were like you know when things got pretty intense yeah no what you just said that honestly sounds like you were reading my mind that's exactly how I felt it was it was controlled and if it wasn't I was panicked yeah um, so I have a bit of a complicated history with with food and my body, um, I've always had pretty poor body image from, from, a, from a pretty young age. And I've gone through ebbs and flows where it hasn't been an issue and then it has. Um, so I had been going okay, probably like this is going, you know, in the last probably four-ish years, I was in an okay place with, my, with food. Um, but I... I think things started to go downhill a bit once I did get sick and diagnosed with IBD. Um, that really changed how that changed my relationship with food forever. Mm -hmm. um, Could you tell us what IBD is just in case no one knows? Yeah. <laughs> a little sidetrack. Absolutely. Um, so IBD is inflammatory bowel disease. It's not IBS, not to be confused with that. Um, IBD is an autoimmune condition. It's a chronic illness. There's no cure. Um, there's, there's two different types. There's Crohn's disease. A lot of people have probably heard of that one. Um, and I've got its um, sister, I guess, which is ulcerative colitis or UC. 
Um, and the difference with IBD and IBS is that IBD causes damage to your insides, basically. Without going into too much detail, it is, um, it is a condition that can end up in some pretty serious other um, health effects, so hospitalisation, and some people can even die from it. Um, I'm very lucky I'm not, I'm not at that serious end. My condition now is quite well managed, but it is... Um, it really impacts with what you can eat. A lot of doctors will have told me, oh, it doesn't, there's, doesn't matter what you eat. You can eat a pretty normal diet. Um, there's no there's no correlation between that. And, and I always find that statement interesting. I know. <laughs> like any, anything at all. It's like, but there's, we've got a lot of evidence that says that's, uh, that's not true. Even for someone with no health concerns, just everything's going great. Your food choices do affect you know, how your body responds to things. Um, is there anyone in your family with IBD? Uh, not immediate family, mm -hmm. but I do have some extended family that does. So it definitely is a, um, there's genetic predisposition mm. for sure. Um, my mum actually has an autoimmune disease as well, not IBD, but it's, and so that, it, that actually does run in um, the immediate family, that sort of predisposition as well. Um, but that's the other hard thing with it. There's no... Um, there's no known cause. It's just something that mm. happens to some people and it um, can be yeah, a combination of yeah, genetics, um, stress, <laughs> stressful events, um, uh, an infection. And I kind of had a bit of all of the above all happened in a perfect storm again. And then that's when I, I got really, really sick. Um, so since then, before that, I'd had lots of issues with my gut and what I was eating and I was always just told it was IBS. So after that, I was at least able to put my finger on it and go, well, I have this and this is causing all of these horrific symptoms that I'm getting. So I went on my journey then to figure out what foods that was. Can I so, ask in the, on the timeline of things, and thank you for being so open about that, because um, I know the colitis side of things. I actually have a few friends whose say parents or aunties or uncles have got it and in all different extremes, but it does tend to be sort of sprinkled throughout the family. So it's not every generation, it's not every second. It's just, you've got say 30 people in your family and there's five that do have it. So it's it's common enough within um, the gene pool, but not, yeah, it's, it's interesting how it kind of sprinkles its way around. Um, I guess I was just wondering because there is quite a link between extreme dieting and IBS symptoms because we're just not giving our microbiome all the things that it needs and it freaks out. Um, did you, and I guess the diagnosis of IBS becomes quite tricky then too, because what we go to our GP with actually is the symptoms of IBS. Cause I was diagnosed with that too, which was a misdiagnosis. Um, it was purely just because I was under eating and my stomach acids and everything weren't coping. Um, did you originally start to get those symptoms when you were sort of really dieting quite intense or had that started before your health journey sort of began? I actually think it probably started once I had begun dieting and getting into my health and exercise in quotation marks. That was because it goes back, honestly, probably about six, six or seven years. I have struggled with gut issues mm -hmm. and that's probably when I started to go on that path of, and, you know, I was dieting. I never used the word dieting, but that was what I was doing and I was losing weight and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And then, look, then I, I've had my condition under control for a little while. I still have 
and I, I still definitely do have symptoms, um, but I think the remainder of some of them is exactly what you just said. It was a, it was because of the under eating that that was causing some of those ongoing symptoms, which have improved since I've been on my recovery journey. So it's it's just fascinating, and I'll I'll never sit here and be like it is this that is causing what's mm. with my gut. I think it's a a lot of it's a combination of all of those things. Um, but I think the the catalyst to really tip off my downward spiral with my relationship with food and my body was being diagnosed with IBD because I lost so much control over all of that. I couldn't exercise. I couldn't eat, couldn't get out of bed. I was in hospital. I, to, to me, that felt like the worst thing. And I thought, oh, I've lost, you know, I'm going to lose all my fitness and strength. I look back, like that's the least of your problems. <laughs> but at the time it was really tough to yeah. lose all of that. And I couldn't go to work or anything like that. So when I was well enough to be able to do all that, I sort of jumped back into it without adapting to my new situation. So I, I then went, I then went about trying to figure out the food with what, you know, what's triggering me. And I, I did get some help. I did get some assistance with nutrition professionals. Um, so I did things like the FODMAP diet, mm. the diet. It's a challenge, you know, trying to figure out um, my intolerances with that. And I did figure out that I do um, react really, really strongly to gluten and dairy and onions actually is, onions in everything in everything yeah. <laughs> I'm not great with garlic either but look it's better than it used to be because I haven't done the whole reintroduction thing but um they were my sort of top triggers so when I did that when I was doing that elimination diet I don't know if you've ever done it or known anyone who's had to do it but it is it's obviously it's a medical diet it's not something that you should be doing for any other reason than mm. that but because it is so restrictive, you, you, you generally lose weight. And so I, I did without meaning to, which people commented on. And I, I really feel like from there, that's sort of when I really became fixated on my body and the size of my body and wanting to stay that way. So I think I then, there was many other rules that I didn't even realise were rules that sort of came in after that. Um, I really didn't... I think borderline, um, a lot of what was happening was orthorexic as well, which I've spoken about with um, my doctor and things like that. But um, yeah, it just, that's the, that's the thing, isn't it? With those food rules, you don't even realise that it's a rule until you sort of... You well, because I think that the intention behind them is so innocent at the start. Yeah, exactly. Like even how you said that elimination diet side of things, it's like, yeah, that's, that's a short-term protocol like it is literally a protocol and but then all of a sudden you start to get positive feedback and maybe during that time your stomach does feel better so yeah. rather than only focusing on though this is a short period of time I'm meant to be doing this for it's like oh but my gut feels good and it hasn't in a really long time I really like this oh and look people are noticing I feel good because they told me I look good and then boom you've just fallen into the trap like so easily too because you you're looking good. You're feeling good. This is the solution. I don't. I don't need to try anything else. This works. And then for people who like routine, like we do, it's <laughs> again, as you said earlier, it's like the perfect storm of I've got limited food choices. It's really easy to food prep. Super easy to cook. Like this feels simple. This feels like it's meant to be for me. It feels safe. Mm. 
Yeah, absolutely. Now, and you were on the pill during this time as well. So you were sort of having breakthrough bleeds or do you come off the pill at this point? Um, so I came off the pill not too long after being diagnosed with IBD because, uh, and this was after a conversation with my GP and they sort of said, look, your body's not absorbing it. <laughs> it's not absorbing anything right now. So there's, there's not really any point in being on it. So you should probably stop taking it, see what happens. And then we'll talk about what other contraception uh, methods are available to you once you sort of yeah, see how see how the things systems are. calm down. Yeah, yeah. So that was the plan. I never, I never had a problem with the pill or anything like that. I was happy to stay on it, but it was purely, yeah, that was the decision I made with my doctor at the time. So I just went off it and waiting, <laughs> waiting. <laughs> and after about, I think three months, I sort of realized. I thought this is a bit strange. Um, went to my doctor and then she said, um, you know, oh, we'll just, just wait to see how things go sometimes. And it does, it does take some people a long time to, to just get it back because of how long they've been on the pill. Mm-hmm. Um, but she said after six months and we need to start looking at things. So I think I came off the pill, oh, when was I was diagnosed in 2019. So I think it was all sort of happening at the same time. <laughs> me coming off the pill trialing all this stuff with my food um and then it basically didn't come back after I came off the pill for a long time mm-hmm. um and when did the red flag start to show up oh was it about six months when you went back to your doctor and you still hadn't had your period that your doctor started to go oh, okay let's investigate or you know because you did have so much going on at the time not only just obviously the physical stress from training all the time and then your nutrition had changed, but your body had been through so much just with the hospitalization and the IBD, like your body really did have a rough, rough 12 months to say the least. Um, When did your doctors, I guess, start to pay more attention and I guess care more about the fact that you didn't have a period or was it something that you had to go to them and be like, Hey, you know, it's still not here. Let's do something because unfortunately many of us go through these cycles of just doctors going ah like it's okay don't worry about it it'll come when it is ready and to a degree yes it will come when it's ready but um we we need steps we need protocols we need freedom really yeah uh, most definitely I was really lucky that I had a GP at the time who was she was really good um it can be hard, especially when you live somewhere like I do, where we have really limited access to a variety of healthcare practitioners. So we still have doctors and a hospital, but you definitely are limited in the specialists and the sorts of people you can go and see. But anyway, my GP at the time was amazing. She was really onto it and she said, yeah, come back after six months. And if it's not back, we'll start to do some more investigation. So, and she said exactly the same thing that you said. She said, it could be a whole number of things. Your body has been through so much with you being so sick. Like I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't able to keep food down. I wasn't eating properly because of purely because of that. So she said, you know, we we don't know. We just need to look into things a little bit further, rule out any of the nasties. So I I felt a bit reassured by that. You know, I've got a plan. Let's, let's go. Let's start investigating. Um, so from that, that was a real minefield, I guess, of all the different tests. And, uh, so I think I had lots of, I have lots of blood tests for my hormones. Um, and then once they didn't really indicate anything too obvious, that was when I got referred to a specialist. I went to a gynecologist, 
Um, and I think anyone who's in that position who hasn't got their period in a, in a while, it's definitely worth having a chat to your GP because, you know, hopefully you would be lucky to have someone like I did who can identify that this is not okay. Um, but if you don't, at least go to a GP to say to them, I think something is wrong and see what sort of test you can get from there to see if there is something else that's happening. Because once you have all those tests, you can then rule out if there's, you can rule out the things that um, are perhaps a bit more sinister. Yeah, absolutely. And what happened, I guess, when you went to the gynecologist? Because I guess this is where everything slowly escalated into oh well there is things going on how do I fix it what do I do um did your gyno know about HA was that something that you found yourself because I know for most of the guests who come on here it's um you know Dr Google showed mm -hmm. us no period now what and we all just went oh that's <laughs> me that's me what was it like for you and you look thank goodness for Nicola Rinaldi I tell you what <laughs> I, I would never have um come across HA if it weren't for the internet and social media so that's why you know that's part of the reason why I'm here today and I you know really love talking about you know talking about these issues and you know people like yourself and Sarah King you know they're they're the sorts of places where I found out about HA because I I did not did not hear about it mentioned at all uh, in those early days when I was trying to figure out what was going on and it was honestly one of the most stressful times of my life very close to being messed around and worked out what was happening when I was getting diagnosed with IBD because no one could tell me why I wasn't getting my period. Um, I had, because I had all the blood tests, I then had an ultrasound done by the specialist um, and some more tests done by him and he told me I had PCOS. Mm -hmm. So that just, just blew me away. I was just devastated. I did not in a million years think that that would have been what was going to come out of his mouth because um, he said I met a couple of, I met I met the criteria essentially I had the cysts on my ovaries and I, I was having some really bad acne at the time um, so technically that that was enough to fit the criteria I didn't have any um, any weird hormone levels happening also I had the missing periods so he sort of said you've got lean PCOS that was pretty much the diagnosis and he said you can go back on the pill to get your period back when it's time to have a baby, come see me and I'll give you some fertility drugs. And I just not, I was not okay with that. Um, many tears were shed, <laughs> many, many talks I had with my partner and family. And I just decided I don't want to, I don't want to do that. This can't be the only, this can't be the only option. I need, I need time. I need to go figure out what else I can do. Surely there's something I can do to try and get this PCOS under control on my own without having to have medical intervention. Sure, if it doesn't work, then I'll come back and I, I will, you know, I would of never. Of course, yeah. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly believe in, you know, Western medicine and, and all that sort of thing, but I, I just really, it didn't sit, didn't sit right with me for some reason. Mm -hmm. So I, he, he mentioned something else about in my blood, oh, there's, um, you know, another thing that can happen is you can have a, a pituitary tumour. I'm sure you've probably heard about. Yeah, I got scanned for one. So did yeah. I. <laughs> Ruling out literally everything. Yeah, everything, I, everything but the over-exercise and under-eating. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you look healthy. It won't be that. <laughs> yeah, you're a healthy weight. And, um, but so, that's a really yeah. scary thing too. I remember getting misslit for that and being like, oh, my God, 
what because I was so wanting a reason for why my period wasn't around and um this was way before I learned a PHA of course and my blood work was low but not zero like it ended up at zero later on but at this point in time it wasn't quite zero um and then I remember getting the slip for the MRI and being like oh my god like what if this is the reason I don't have my period like this is terrifying and um like I'm, I'm still glad I had that test done because you know for some people maybe that is the case that's exactly what's causing it but oh I just remember in that moment being so scared it is it's a it's a scary thing to hear you should go get an MRI on your brain mm. <laughs> there could be something in there so I was massively freaked out as well um but I had by that point in time because this is like eight months or so post pill no period um I had heard of HA I think by then because I had been researching PCOS and you know trying to trying to learn more about my hormones and what they should be so it was kind of there in the back of my mind thinking about HA but I was so in denial at that point that's all that's no that's not me I'm not that extreme I'm not even that skinny my BMI is not too low and I just just completely brushed it aside um, and my specialist, he, I think he, he asked me once if I, what my exercise um, was like. And then the next time he saw me, he said, oh, and you don't exercise much, do you? So he just obviously was not listening to anything I was saying. So I was fed up at that point. And um, what did I do after that? Oh, I basically said to, he, he really wanted me to go on the pill because he's like, you need to go on the pill to protect your bones which we, which I've seen yeah. found out is not the case anyway. Um, so I basically asked him, can I, can you give me six months to do what I can to try and get this back on my own? Because I wanted, I just wanted some time to try and go work, work things out and see if there was something else out there. And then that's when I sort of started to look into, into HA, learning at a bit, learning a bit more about what it was, but it wasn't until I went and saw a, she's a functional like integrative GP um, until I saw her that she was able to look at my hormones and talk to me about everything about my lifestyle factors and everything else that no one else had asked me about that was when I was able to say this is the problem this is why my period's missing because like like we said a hundred times hindsight is great but I can now look back and go like my estrogen levels were nothing mm. my hormones were just flatlined I had nothing nothing there and no wonder I felt so crap <laughs> yeah um I just want to backtrack because I find it interesting how that doctor on that second appointment which thankfully he did ask the question or suggestion that he had because it made you sort of go well you're no good for me you're not paying yes. attention but even just the way how he said you don't do much exercise do you because let's pretend that previous conversation hadn't occurred like he's got no idea about your exercise the way that was presented of course, as someone who over-exercises, who doesn't want to be told to stop exercising, you would answer as, yeah, no, not much. Because they've, they've kind of cornered you into saying it. And I guess coming from a space where I do work on mindset and I've spoken to so many women as well as done my own work, I, I'm so interested in how people present questions and statements because the language they choose is so important to how people reciprocate their answers or um continue on with conversation or make choices it's so important and just the way how he sort of said oh you don't do much do you it would have taken so much for you to go oh no I actually train three hours a day or two hours a day because at that point in time you're training that much because you think it's for health and it's for all the right reasons 
And to anybody else, you know, you've got some people who don't like exercise. And if they had have said that to them going, you don't exercise too much, do you? They would have gone, oh, I do a little bit because they sort of want someone to say, take a step back because they kind of don't like it that much anyway. Um, but I just, especially specialists to sort of corner in things, I, I, it baffles me. Um, and then how you said, you know, the pill to protect your bones. It's like, isn't anyone doing research? Like, <laughs> It honestly makes me sad. It was, I look back and I'm so disappointed. And that's why I, I do want to talk about things like this mm. because he could have so easily just I could have just done exactly what he said but though yeah you're you're exactly right the way that he said that and he made me feel there's no way I was going to open up to him about what was going on in that space because he didn't make me feel like I could so yeah um, I, that's the thing creating space is the ultimate thing isn't it I mean then you said you'd gone to this integrative doctor who asked you questions Yes. And didn't corner you into what your response is going to be. It's just like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing anyway. It was very much like, what's work like? What's your relationship like? Mm-hmm. Um, what's your, from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed, what do you do? What do you eat? What do you drink? What do you think? Um, what's your downtime? And there's so many open questions, judgment-free, to actually go, oh, okay, here's a picture of Leilani and what her life looks like. And here's all this potential of things that we can do to help you lead a better life. Like it it can be such a positive conversation and positive insight and positive exploration if it's executed correctly. Um, Given you've seen this uh, integrative doctor, when they come to you with all these questions, did you feel like you could be open about things because of the way it was executed? Like it was quite a comfortable environment or was there certain things that you kind of you know took a notch down because you didn't want to say the whole truth I told her most things um because you're exactly right the way that she did it was she asked me about everything and there was no judgment and she helped me you know say verbalize everything that was happening and what I was doing and then she could put it together in a in a way that showed look at this whole picture of your life and what you are doing and all of the stresses that it's putting on your body from exercise, diet, mental, like it was just the whole thing. And I realized, oh my goodness, I, it, it's coming from everywhere. But there were, the, the biggest thing I think I probably held back from talking to her about um, for, for a little while was really how sick I was with what I have, what I was since diagnosed with as an eating disorder. Um, that was something that I didn't tell. And I still really haven't told people about for a long time because I just didn't, well, I couldn't face it. I think at first I didn't want to admit it. Um, but I was since able to talk to her about it because I also see a psychologist. So that's probably been the best, the biggest, most helpful thing. It has been having all these supportive people around me. I couldn't have gotten to where I am without all of them so she really helped me be able to talk about it and be not be worried about the judgment I guess either and my doctor definitely did not judge me she said I know (laughs) (laughs) sometimes that's nice isn't it like if it's the right person done at the right time when someone goes like I know you're having a hard time or like I know you're scared to eat it's sort of like good someone knows because it's, uh, it's so much of it is hidden behind closed doors and this show of your healthiest self and 
um, it can feel like you're just hiding from the world all the time. And then for someone to actually look in in a non-judgmental way and go, I know what's going on. I hear you. We can do better. It's like, oh, okay, Let, let's let's have a look at this a little bit more. Um, at that point in time with your eating disorders, was it the orthorexia, like you're very just restrictive with food choices or did you have other things going on as well? Um, it definitely, the orthorexia has always been, that was probably there for quite a long time, probably almost my whole, not my whole, but a, a large part of my fitness fitness and health journey. Um, but the, 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 the biggest issue that I was seeking and am seeking treatment for is bulimia. So I had other behaviours that were compensatory from over-exercising to purging, binging. And, you know, these are all things that exactly what you said are happening behind closed doors. So I have spoken, I've spoken a lot, um, a lot to um, like my healthcare professionals about this sort of parallel that exists. And I think it does happen for a lot of women in a similar situation who, who appear so healthy on the outside, but they aren't behind those closed doors is that people can see the exercising and the healthy eating. And, you know, and I, I was and always have eaten what is a lot in quotation marks, a lot of food. You know, I didn't, I didn't not eat in front of people. Um, I was always eating and everyone knows I love food and I have a huge appetite, but it was what was happening when no one was around. That's when that became the problem. And that was when I realized, you know, this is sort of tying my big picture all in together. That was the point when I went, this is not normal and you can't keep telling yourself that it is. You need to yeah. change. Can I ask a couple of questions about the bulimia? Um, purely from like I was bulimic as well. So I 100% understand you. Um, I guess questions one, because orthorexia, obviously good quality food choices, because in a nutshell, that's, that's what we're doing, also leads to low caloric intake. Therefore, the binging and purging becomes uncontrollable it's like something just takes over your mind you don't even know what you're doing and the next minute you're throwing up and it's just this whirlwind of craziness and some part of it you want some part of it you're terrified of and it's it's a crazy crazy time um do you I guess as you're recovering and have you noticed that the more you eat throughout the day throughout the week throughout the month has helped you reduce the binges because I know for me my binges alongside many, many other things, because you can't just click them away. Um, I did notice though, that the more I started to eat and talk myself into like, it's okay that I've had this food. It's okay that I feel full. I'm just going to ride the wave. The emotions will come that my, my binging episodes and purging did slowly reduce just from having more throughout the day. Did you notice that as well? Hugely. Yeah. And it's only after doing that for a longer period of time, like eating enough, mm -hmm. did I actually notice it because I would hear it all the time. And, you know, if you, you go on Instagram or Google, you know, how to stop binging or anything like that, people say, you need, you need to eat more mm -hmm. and, and it will stop. And I thought that's ridiculous. There's no way that can work. Mm. And I hate to be that person who now stands there and says it does work. That's true. Oh yeah. Cause it's just our, our bodies and brains are so smart, isn't it? It's like, you're not giving yeah. me enough. So I'm going to give you that intense hunger so much that you physically can't say no. And that's what it's like. If you've got bulimia, you can't like you try so hard and until you get control over it, because you absolutely can get control over it, um, it feels like you can't say no. 
Um, and I guess that's where it feels like you you can never not be, be bulimic again because it's so intense in that moment um, and having the strength to go, uh, I feel a little bit full, I'm not comfortable, all I can think about is throwing it up, but I'm just going to sit here on my hands and I'm not going to do a thing. I feel like I'm going to cry. I feel like I'm just not going to survive. I feel guilty. I feel all of these horrible things, but I'm just going to wait. 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 And then you start to realize that, okay, that was a horrible hour because I didn't throw up. And that's exactly what I wanted to do. But the emotions passed. I survived. I think I feel a little bit better for not throwing up than what I would have if I had have thrown up. But it is a massive practice of doing that over and over and over again before you can actually go, I think I'm in control of my bulimia now. Like it is very much a practice until you get control over it. Is Did you have similar things happen with you or was it a little bit different? Yeah, no, very, very similar. Um, I, I think the hardest part was that I had convinced myself for so long and uh, you, you probably were the same that it was, it wasn't a big deal. It's all right. Yeah, and just one more time. And then I won't do it again. Yeah. Yeah. And no one, yeah. you know, no one knows about it. No one needs to know. Um, so it was really hard to sort of reconcile that that was happening. I was doing it and then, yeah, I'm turning around and having these beliefs about what health is mm-hmm. and they were just so far apart that I just thought I, I, this isn't what I want to do anymore. So yeah, you're right that the whole, the process of going through that recovery and stopping all of that is, it was one of the toughest things I've, I've ever done, but mm. I wouldn't change it for the world. Okay, I, I definitely think my bulimia recovery was more difficult than anything I'd ever done. Me too. Because yeah. it is a war in your head. Yeah. Like it is chaos. Um, a war you can definitely win, but it's of all the things I look back on, that was tough. And especially because it's tricky and it, you might've heard in other episodes of people listening might've heard there was times where I, I started throwing up again and I thought nothing of it. I had really bad heartburn or indigestion and I just, I needed to feel better. And my husband pulled me up on it one night. Well, what are you doing? Why are you doing this again? Like it's been such a long time. It's been years. And I was like, oh no, I just had heartburn. He goes, no, you don't. Like you've been doing this all week. What are you doing? And I just burst into tears. I'm like, oh my God, I, I honestly, I didn't know. It just snuck back in that I was full and I didn't like it and the food had to go. And I labelled it as indigestion and heartburn. And honestly, unless he had pulled me up on it, I'm not sure how much, I, I think I would have kept doing it for a really long time because I didn't even, I didn't even recognise it. It was, I just, it was so bizarre how it just crept in and it was okay. Like I remember responding to him like, oh, no, no, I've, like it's nothing. You're over-dramatising. I just had to feel better. And that's where eating disorders are so complicated and you need to be so witty about it or have someone with you who's in the know to at least pull you up sometimes because sometimes you you don't know. And it's okay that those things happen. It's, you know, dealing with them. Well, what's next? What's the action plan? We're, we've done this before. We can do it again. Um, has your journey with bulimia sort of been a bit of a roller coaster? And I'm just going to ask one question because I know I'm going to forget it. Um, back when you had the IBD, you mentioned that you couldn't keep your food down. So obviously that was because you were really sick. Yeah. But I remember, I guess my, what caused me to have my first binge and purge was 
Um, I ate some bad food a few months earlier, went to a Chinese restaurant, it was awful, I felt really sick and I threw up and I just remember being like, oh gosh, what if like, I feel better? And that's where it stopped. It was not a binge and purge, not one little bit. It was literally just, I ate something dodgy and I could feel it unsettling in my stomach and I th- and I felt better. And then months down the track, I'd gone through this really, you know, comprep, dieting, all that sort of thing. Felt great, looked great, positive experience. And I think I just ate a little bit too much. And by too much, I mean, I probably ate it a, a normal meal, quote unquote, like not a bodybuilding prep meal. And I felt full. And that full feeling led me to feeling disgusted, like as if you feel full, as if you ate that much, how dare you? And my mind just like slingshot back to months earlier when I maybe had food, like borderline food poisoning, about to get it, I don't know. And that's like a thing about I'm like, oh, this will make me feel better. And I did it. And then it did make me feel better. And then woof, there goes the next two years stuck being bulimic. Did any of your journey sort of have attachments to that time when you were really sick and couldn't keep food down? Strangely enough, I don't think so. I think purely because I was so sick, I would have done anything to be able to not feel nauseous. Mm -hmm. Um, But I relate to that feeling of feeling full and that being the catalyst for for what what happens afterwards um so it definitely was a roller coaster and I'm trying to think if I was unwell before I got sick with IBD maybe a little bit but I think it was more um it just started to happen more and more frequently over the years and then um I think since starting my recovery and you know seeking help and all that sort of thing it definitely has been a roller coaster like you were Mm -hmm. talking about um but something that was really emphasized to me was the importance of not letting things be a relapse just a slip up slip ups are what you do afterwards so I at the moment you know like I'm still still definitely you know it's only been oh gosh, like uh, nine months or so that I've been fully committed to recovery. So I'm still very much, you know, working through lots of things, but. That's still really great though. Well done. Thank you. Like, <laughs> things have really been really well done. Things have been really good for a while though. Like I was really lucky to be able to get a handle on things pretty quickly because I think I, I got to a point where I, I was ready to put everything into being the best version of myself. And I think that it's not going to happen unless you're ready for that and no one can make you ready for that. Of course. That makes sense. No, absolutely. You need to be ready for the message to come through because it's probably been there the whole time that, you you know, we have our barriers up and it's like, no, I know better. And then you finally hit a point of, wow, something's got to give here. I can't survive like this. I can't, I don't want to be 60 and still doing this. Um, yeah, and it's and when the penny drops, it really drops, doesn't it? Because it's like suddenly you're ready to seek support. Um, and do you find that, I guess, because we're riddled with diet culture and there is so much eating less is best and we applaud everyone for choosing the salad and, and it might not be that way in all groups, but it tends to be amongst, you know, the HA community. That's the kind of words we live in. Um, but I found that, you know, bulimia is super common like so, so common. And of course, because it goes hand in hand with under eating. 
but I find that including myself a lot of there's a lot more shame attached to it because if you were to openly say to someone I'm on 1200 calories or something the general public goes oh wow 1200 cal- I could never eat that much how do you do it but if you were to say to someone I throw up my food it's like oh you know it's it's a really bad and I get it because that's uncomfortable for someone who's never experienced it never dealt with it never been in that mind because it's like but why would you do that like I, I can completely understand the the other side of it 100 percent um but did do you find the bulimia was a little bit harder to come forward with to even say your doctor compared to over exercising um food rules because i like for me as well i i found that was my last thing that was the last thing anyone knew about. And then once I said it, I was like, oh, I actually feel kind of free and liberated about it. It's like, yes, I did that and I'm working on it. Yeah. Great. Um, yeah. Did you have similar things or it was all kind of the same? It's like all of it's hard to, to talk about. I know. I feel it the same. It's definitely been the eating disorder part has been the hardest part to talk about because you're right. There is such a stigma and shame attached to that, that you think people are going to think less of you or that yeah like you said people don't understand they don't understand and I I get that and I, I don't want you I don't want you to understand <laughs> I hope but, you oh, yes it's no, something you don't need to experience it I don't I want don't. you to experience it and yes but I just want it to be more acceptable to talk about and for you for people to feel like it's it's not something that shameful to talk about because it does like you said it's so so prevalent and hmm. it's something that is kept so secret because it can happen without people knowing and then why would you want to talk about it because of the reaction Mm. that you get from some people so I'm even nervous talking about it today but I'm I'm just same as what you just said I just feel like it's 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 something that should be on the same level as all the other health issues that I've had it's just something else that I've been working on to overcome and it's all out there now that I can talk about it and work on it all at the same time um I'm so grateful for you to be willing to talk about it because there's so many people listening right now going like oh my gosh that's me and maybe by us sharing might give them the confidence to just tell one person because that's where it all starts isn't it just being able to share it with one person and it's like okay that actually wasn't so bad my heart's still racing I'm finding it a little bit difficult to breathe and I'm not sure how the next 10 minutes is going to go down. But for the most part, it feels kind of nice that someone knows and, you know, pick your person wisely, pick your best friend or your partner or your mom or your dad or your doctor. Like would actually be what I did was, sorry to interrupt a bit. No, go for it, please. But I really like, I'll always talk about this because it was so helpful. The first thing I did and the first person I actually vocalized what was happening to was the Butterfly Foundation. I called them and I was on my own and um, I just I just thought, this is it. This is rock bottom. I don't know where to go from here. I don't want to tell anyone that I love because I don't want to see them be hurting because of, of me. The so burden. It is. I, I felt thought, the same I need- way. I love my mum and tell her everything. I'm like, I can't tell her. She'd be so no. upset. Yeah. She'd be so, so upset knowing this. This has to, I'll just tell someone else. So if that's how, if you're in the same boat, that was, that would be what I would say is talk to someone else because you don't have to tell everyone that, you know, ever, but you can, but it doesn't have to be straight away. So I called them and they were amazing. And then they put me 
in touch with, um, I think I did have to go to my GP to get a referral, but they gave me something I could fill out and take to my GP so I didn't have to talk to them. I could give them That's this. Fantastic. That's a great tip for anyone. It was so good. <laughs> so yeah. I just was like, ah, here's this. And then they gave me a referral to someone that the Butterfly Foundation had given me as a list to refer to, who is now my um, psychologist who I've been seeing for the past, surely been a year now. And she is just, I cannot speak highly enough of her. She's been just, yeah, absolutely incredible. So that would be my probably biggest suggestion for if you don't feel like you can talk to people around you, totally get it. But there's, there's other people you can talk to. That's no, I'm so glad you mentioned that because it's such a wonderful thing because sometimes people can be like that. It's like, maybe I don't have that person or I do have the person. I don't want them thinking differently or being upset or anything like that. So I, now I feel like I can't. And I guess another great thing about, you know, the Butterfly Foundation is they're set up for people that are having troubling times and they know exactly what steps to give you to progress forward, like fill in this form, take it to your GP. And for the most part, I'm pretty sure they're on phone and email as well. So it's like you don't even have to be looking at someone in the face. You can just grit your teeth, talk on the phone and just get it out there. And sometimes, you know, not having that emotional connection can help you let it all out too because it's like, I don't know you, you don't know me. Like this is totally blank canvas here. It's um, all confidential. You know, it's all it, confidential. It makes it so, so much easier. Yeah, and I think that she even said, you know, you can email me because she sent me an email with some things like with the resources in it and said, you know, you can email me if you need. So, yeah, I can't speak, can't speak highly enough of them. I'll um, pop the show notes, the Butterfly Foundation as well for anyone listening. Um, all right, so I feel like we've covered lots here, haven't we? <laughs> um, but no, thank you again for sharing so, so much. Um, you're seeing the integrative doctor you're yeah. recognizing ways that you can improve on your yeah. life food training general stress I'm guessing um what come next for you what were the big pinnacles and obviously what led to the recovery of your period what were you doing yes oh, this is all the important stuff <laughs> um well because I think once the the doctor sort of put into perspective what was happening and this was even without me talking to her about you know, the eating disorder, she could still work with everything that I told her, you know, help me see that, you know, at least for the meantime, training high intensity for, you know, as much as I was every day. Um, and at the time, at the time, I was also training for uh, a 20 kilometer run that I was oh. doing as part of a triathlon. Wow. So yeah, um, I was, you know, this is actually a little bit off track, but just a bit of perspective of the sort of things I was doing that I didn't realize was so bad for my health was I was doing all my training for this 20 kilometer run and I would train on an empty stomach. Mm. I would run 10, 20 Ks on an empty stomach because I thought that's what, that's what I get told you. It's better for you to train on an empty stomach. You know, I didn't really surround myself with the sort of information where like for athletes where that's the complete opposite that's not what you should be doing so but back then I didn't I didn't know any better and I thought that I was doing the and, right. no, and, and that's the key isn't it it's like at the time when we're making these choices and decisions we really didn't know any better no. and so therefore you never thought to research anything because it's like well this is what we do especially cardio fast in the morning that was yeah. a craze for it has been a craze for years 
Yeah. And it probably still is unless you start looking into hormone health and all those sorts of things where it's like, ah, oh, please don't do it, please. Um, but at the time, it's like, and also, you know, you don't want to run with a full tummy and then you create all the reasons why you must do your running faster and why you must do your HIIT workouts yeah. faster. By now, I have now learned that it's all even better when you're properly fueled and you have your period. <laughs> so for the people yeah. out back, <laughs> fuel. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so once I sort of yeah so the doctor was basically like when you finish this run so this was in February this year she's like when you finish this no more no more running because that's one of the worst things you can do when you're trying to get your hormones you know back and in a, at a normal level sorry um, just some context for the running as well because how long would it take you to do 10k uh just under an hour, I yeah, think. Yeah, because for general, and I'm super general, hormone restoration, not HA specific, general yeah. hormone balancing, PCOS, things like that, you know, there tends to be a 30-minute window. If you are going to do any exercise, condense it to 30 minutes, you won't get too many cortisol spikes, all those sorts of things, eat before and after, all those still apply. But, you know, a 10K run, as you said, it, it takes around about an hour. So yeah. that's a long time to be exercising first thing in the morning on an empty stomach while trying to facilitate your hormones rising yeah yep so I didn't really know that so I think when I did my 20 I was doing 20k sometimes in the training as well and I think I would have a banana and coffee which isn't terrible but it's not enough for that mm -hmm. um, so yeah I think um, the running yeah it was more just like and I love it I love running and I do want to go back to it one day but I just didn't realize that that doing it like that as well was not that great for your hormones among mm. other things like intermittent fasting and all these other. Oh, I know. I know. I, I say it cause like I did all the things too. We all do all the things cause it's like, Oh, we'll do the next best thing. That's meant to be the best for us. And you just hobble from one to the next and it's fun cause it's new. And then. Little did I know. Now I know better. And yeah, I think that's why I'll always say, you know, don't don't just take the general messages that are out there to the public on whether it's social media or the internet or whoever, like talk to a trained professional, whether that's a, a doctor, someone and someone who works in the nutrition space or the fitness space, whatever it is, like talk to them about what you should be doing to get the results you want and make sure that it's it's not coming from that place of that diet culture because I think that was a big trap I fell into was that I would hear things like, yeah, train on an empty stomach. It's better for fat burning or um, don't, you know, you should be eating, leaving this much time overnight to not eat and give your stomach time to rest or and heal. Yeah. Or, yeah or, don't let your digestion run all through the night. And yeah, all these things that the general population probably needs to take on board, but not someone like me who was already over exercising and not eating enough. <laughs> Yeah, but no, so that's really important what you just said there too, because a lot of these, I'm going to quote unquote health messages, go out to the general public to help people that tend to be overeating, sedentary lifestyle. So if you turn around and go, oh, maybe have your last meal at 8 p.m., give yourself some time to digest, that rule, to different, not rule, that um recommendation to people who potentially are eating up until midnight two in the morning snacking doing whatever they do and then as soon as they wake up they eat breakfast again maybe for them 
giving themselves two hours to not eat before bed or one hour to not eat before bed means that they drop a little bit of weight. And for someone who's obese, you know, that could be a positive thing for them to do. And I just love what you said there. Like you need to be really critical about the information that's coming to you. And is that tailored for you or is it a general thing or, you know, what specifically would help you in that statement, you know, and would it? Because we hear all these things thrown out, as you said, and it's so catchy. It's like, well, I'm just trying to be my best. I'll give that a go. I'll give that a go. I'll give that a go. But as you so beautifully stated, for someone who's already overtraining and under exercise, overtraining and under eating, we need no, no more added feedback <laughs> or suggestions. We've, we've got enough suggestion, um, you know, time to take a step back. Um, it's that takes a really high level of self-awareness, doesn't it? That's something that absolutely not come by. Yeah. Cause in that moment as well, you're just, you really do think you're doing all the best things. And then you've got all the other added input as to compliments and the fact that you, like, as you said, you love running. Yeah. So you, you weren't necessarily running for weight. Like the, you could have also liked the fact that it maintains your weight or that it's good for your body or you know there's definitely positive attachments to it but for the most part the way you described it anyway please correct me if I'm wrong it it sounds like you just went for your morning run because you you liked running yeah definitely it, it, I guess it did have that tiny element like you said of uh, uh, influencing my my shape like mm -hmm. with all of my exercise but I still at the end of the day it's something I do really enjoy and I loved you know, I did that run and it was in the, it was in a triathlon. So I was in a team, um, you know, it was just it was such fun, so much fun, such a great atmosphere. I smashed my PB. Like it was, it was, it was great. And there was no thoughts about, you know, any of the other stuff that had been happening or motivations. It's all because it's fun. Mm -hmm. So that's, it, it is, it's really hard to sort of define when that, when it crosses, crosses that line to becoming something that's not, for enjoyment and it's not helpful for you so having people help you identify that if you can't do it yourself is really really important yeah absolutely so what happened when I guess you were told the running need to be cut down because that's that's a tough pill to swallow as you said you're really enjoying it yeah. um you want to feel better for as long as you can probably remember running makes you feel better from personal perspective and also advice given to us um, how did you feel about the first suggestions made and yeah what what did they lead into I was so resistant to change at first I just and that's why I sort of say I was in a bit of, bit of like quasi recovery from probably this time last year probably like November last year when I started seeing the psychologist that was sort of the first steps taking to try, try to you know get get on the track to, towards recovering my period um, but yeah, so until I finished the triathlon, because the doctor sort of said, you know, okay, once you finish that, I need you to cut back. I want you to cut back on your exercise, walk, do yoga, I need you to eat more, um, eat more carbs, blah, blah, you know, make all these changes. And I was, I was really, really resistant because I knew it was, it was, was going to be a huge change. So the, the thing that really helped push me and change my mindset was, it was probably two things, but the, yeah, the two biggest things were the first was this doctor got me to do a bone density scan, which I'd never done before. And I wasn't, I thought, okay, whatever. Yeah, I'll go and do it. Didn't think it would be a problem. And then I actually got told I had osteopenia, which mm. is, you know, it's the, the thing before osteoporosis. 
So I thought I can't be 28 years old and have brutal bones. You know, I thought that's not, not, this isn't okay. So, and it really freaked me out, to be honest. It really frightened me to go, you can't prioritize having a small body and being fit over having brittle bones bones. so young Mm -hmm. so that really 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 gave me that motivation and then the other was I really wanted to get my period back naturally because you know I do want to have a family at some point so you know getting a little bit older and I thought this isn't you know I'm not I'm not happy to not have a period because I know sometimes younger women when it goes missing they're like yay I don't have a period this is this is great I don't have to deal with it but for me that was never it I was always concerned so those really made me go okay something needs to change but um so with working with the psychologist and the GP and then I think the thing that really really helped cement things and get me over that line to to help get my period back was doing the healing HA program with Sarah King Mm -hmm. um just because it gave me that accountability that the other you know other um you know, doctor and psychologist definitely gave me accountability, but they're only there, you know, once every, however often you were seeing them. Whereas doing these sorts of programs, it gave me access to one-on-one support often. And then also other people, other women who were in the same position. So we could bounce all that sort of. Which is really good thing too. So, oh, it was just one of, it's one of the best things I've ever done. So again, another recommendation is, if you can, if you can afford it and it's something that's successful to you is get get that little bit more support and accountability from someone who specialises in helping women with HA because it is something that's not, unfortunately, it's not something that a lot of health professionals know about. A lot of things I get from women and I, like, I was one of those women who I need to do this by myself and I can't get any help and blah, 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 blah. Um, and look, everyone's got their own their own healing journey. And I still do believe at the core of it, you know what's best for you. And I do look back now, because I think when I went through HR recovery, things had shifted a little bit as the, the No Period Now What group was very active and you had that support all the time and it, and it was a free resource. So I kind of had that as my main support. And honestly, I it helped me so, so much just knowing people were feeling the same way, they were going through the same things, that they had the same joys about eating a fear food. They had yeah. the same sadness when everyone's getting their period and you weren't getting yours. And like, it just, it wasn't isolating. It was a really lovely community. Um, but I do look again, look back now and go, oh, I wish I had have executed getting additional help because I, I'm grateful that I learned all the mindset stuff and everything that I did because now I can do what I do. Um, but the other part of me is like, oh, but you know what? If you just had to let someone in, you probably could have made it that little bit easier on yourself. So I love it when women share that they've been a part of communities in all different manners, because there's so many different people out there helping women recover from HA, because I I tend to think now that that can be part of the healing process, just being willing to go, you know, this is one thing that I'm choosing to not do by myself. Like I'm choosing to have support. I'm choosing to let people in. I'm choosing to just be the real me in front of this community, in front of this consultant, whatever you want to call it. Did you find some part of like getting assistance was liberating for you? And again, if it wasn't like, no, but I'm just, I'm curious to that insight because it was definitely a shortfall of mine 
having such resistance to getting additional help because I, again, always grateful for everything the way it planned out, but I think it could have been a more graceful process just having those, those sort of check-ins and things like that. Oh, I think by the time I joined that program, I was so... I was at the point where I was willing to take anything I could get. And I just knew that I wasn't going to make any headway if I didn't get the extra support um, because I had been so stuck for a long time. Um, so, cause I was very much the same as you. I didn't need, I didn't want anyone's help with anything. I didn't, I just wanted to, you know, do it on my own. Mm -hmm. But um, I think I, when I got to the point where I realized I, I actually want to get my period back quick quickly <laughs> I don't want to be stuck in this for any longer than I have to be so that was when I was sort of willing to open up and um, yeah talk about it in this group and then also on my own social media I think that was really liberating as well was just letting go and just being just open about it and I really helped that helped me because you're right everyone's different some people would not want to talk about it and that's that's totally fine but for me I feel like it did help but the other thing that I have, again, I can look back on and go, I think it was also that kind of perfectionist part of you that was like, I want to recover right. I want to do program. Right. <laughs> Give yeah. me the program. <laughs> do, and I'm going to do it. Exactly. I've got a schedule. <laughs> I've got a task list. Yeah. <laughs> so I think for a while, I definitely. No, but again, it's whatever works for you. Because yeah. like I encourage that with my clients. Like let's have like the same way we kind of got in this predicament is the same way we can get out if we're using it in the right fashion um, because there is safety and feeling of comfort in having a plan. And obviously the time you get your period back varies from woman to woman. Like that's, we know, we know that, but if we can feel really great about all the decisions we're making, it just helps so much rather than having constant resistance of, you know, that's not what I used to do. That's just being in a world of women that are like, yeah, you're making a great choice. Like you're doing the best thing for your health. Good job. It feels a bit scary. It's okay. You did the right thing. It's like, okay, I just need a pat on the back sometimes. I just need reassurance sometimes. And well, even the, the, um, the knowledge behind why you're doing those things that feel so crappy, you know, mm -hmm. like I, don't, I didn't want to take a break from exercise. I didn't want to start eating more. I didn't want to gain weight. But having that sort of knowledge to then, it let me trust the process and it mm -hmm. let me, you know, know that maybe while I'm not doing everything perfectly, it gave me, yeah, the, the, the knowledge to, to help me sit with all of the things that were so uncomfortable and know that there was a really good reason why I was going through that tough feeling. Yeah, no, because that's where education and knowledge around things is so empowering because it's like if you can justify every action that you're taking, it feels more comforting. And same as when we first started training crazy and dieting crazy, well, not like food rules, right? Yeah. All food rules were created from something that we had read that suggested we would feel better, look better, all of it. We didn't just pick them out of a hat and go, oh, that sounds good. It all come from information that we learned and we, we trusted. And HR Recovery, as you, as you beautifully said, like it's, it's the same thing. It's like, give me the information that empowers me to make these decisions because I know this is literally the magic script. Like this is going to work. Um, with your recovery, did you go all in? Did you stop all exercise? Did you, um, obviously you're eating more in what capacity, I guess. Did you just start to bulk up your meals a little bit more? Did you calorie count at the start to make sure you're getting enough in? Um, yeah, what, what were your, your action steps? 
Um, I had before, just before I started the program with Sarah, I made a decision to not go to the gym for four weeks. That was my promise. In my, in, I made it. I spoke to my partner about it and I, I told him, you know, help make me accountable. I was like, I'm just not going to go for four weeks. Just have a break and see what happens because I was feeling really burnt out by that point. I wasn't feeling any better and I knew I was just not making the headway that I wanted. So by the time I got to Sarah's program, it was probably just after those four weeks. And because in those sorts of things, you know, you can talk to, you get support from, from the qualified professional who can then talk to you about, should you stop exercise? Should you dial it down? Like, how are you going to do it exactly? For me personally, we decided I would take a break, which I was not really thrilled about. But by that point, I'd already stopped for about a month. Um, so I just did just walking and yoga days of complete rest. I stopped following a step count because that's right before I was like, when I was pre HA recovery, I was not only just doing all that formal exercise, I was walking upwards of 15,000 steps a day and I work in a sedentary desk job. (laughs) So that was hours of walking on top of, you know, the exercise. And now I don't have I don't have one. I don't have a step goal. Um, so I cut that back. And then food wise, it was, I actually am a little bit different, I think, to a lot of people who've been in HA recovery in that I never counted calories really. I had, like, I have my fitness pal and I have an idea of calories just from like past things. But when I was at the height of, um, you know, things not being great with my food, I wasn't actually calorie counting. So I didn't want to go back to counting to make sure that I was getting enough because I knew it would just be yeah, facilitating a nasty. Yeah. yeah. So another reason why it was great to hand that over to someone else and go, give me some ideas of what, how big, like what sort of things should I be putting Mm -hmm. in meals? Like a visual cue. Yeah. And I did have some measurements in the beginning to make sure because I was so skewed and warped with what I thought was a serve of things, especially things like carbs, like rice and pasta and all that sort of stuff. So I did measure that for a while, but recently, like now these days, I don't, I don't measure it, but it it helped me just make sure I was putting enough in there. And I knew that it was going to be enough calories. Um, I was eating every two to three hours, very mechanical eating, which I hated. Mm. (laughs) It's tough at the start, isn't it? Because it's like, you're not even hungry and you're just making yourself chow down this food. Whether yeah. it's a snack or a meal, it doesn't matter. It just feels so forceful. And I think everyone listening can relate to that stage of it where it's like, but I'm not even hungry. I'm so sick of food. <laughs> Sounds so bizarre to me because I love food, but you don't really know it until you have to physically do it when you're just like, I am not hungry. And pre, like prior to eating more, I very much had a, I had a lot of extreme hunger. And um, someone who actually... I felt like I have a lot of similarities in that too was Stephanie Buttermore. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I felt like her. I felt like there was no amount of food that could satisfy me. Mm -hmm. So the the thought of eating enough, uh, the thought of me at one point going, oh, I cannot eat anymore. I don't want to eat anymore. It was just bizarre. But that's what happened. Yeah. So I would eat enough. And, then I and that's where the trust comes too, because yeah. it's like, ah, oh, that fullness does exist. Because you yeah. do, you think that you, you're a bottomless pit that can never be filled. And that's why you don't try and fill it, because what it needs to be filled is too much, not going to do it, that's dangerous, blah, 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 all that stuff. And then, you know, you follow the process and it's like, oh, wow, I'm full. 
do work. <laughs> I also didn't really enjoy that I I finally being I'm, a, I'm it's totally part of my routine now is the eating as soon as I get up if I'm exercising mm-hmm. even before a walk it was very much you need to eat even before you walk especially in HA recovery maybe normal people are fine but not in recovery and I just was I detested it because old me was a pre-workout or a coffee down the yeah, hatch. Off the yeah. Hold That's off it. that first meal as long yep. as you can. Yeah. Because as soon so, as you um, wait, you get hungry anyway. So yep. why would you? <laughs> Standing there at 5 a.m. in the kitchen, mushing a banana in my mouth, just like wanting to eat like, this. But now it's fine. I just, it's just part of, um, yeah. just get up early and do that. Um, but I love that you're sharing this though. Cause you know, when you're going through those stages, you just sit there and go, is everyone else doing this? Yeah. Like, are you sure this is right? So who, whoever's listening or, or watching the YouTube, it's like, yeah, this is what we do. Yeah. <laughs> and it works. It like, does. Trust the process. It does. The other thing that was then um, really helpful was trying to like manage stress as well. Because for me, that is a huge part of the puzzle, especially with my work. Um, and then of course I decided and, and to study. study yeah you're a busy woman I was really worried about that adding to my stress but because I wasn't exercising all the time I had I have had more time to study so I've managed to get it in um, so I just have had to really prioritize what I'm doing um, and do other things that help me manage my stress and I know everyone's different so for me a big one is meditating I'm just yeah huge lover of that and um doing some journaling as well so it was kind of a whole a whole sort of wheel approach it was everything mm-hmm. but the way that um I found it more manageable was because with Sarah we did it week by week so one week was exercise one's food one's another bit you know working on body image like it wasn't like hello you've got to do all of this at once and you mm, just get so overwhelmed it's overwhelming isn't it mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah absolutely this this change your life (laughs) yeah just like that wake up tomorrow and do it all it's like no no (laughs) small changes are better than nothing I've worked out and then suddenly you make the small changes and you're further down the road than you think yeah that's right and then you look back and you're like wow it took so much effort to break all these rules and now they are a memory yeah exactly feels like like another life yeah, yeah. And I love that you brought up the the fact that now you've got the time and the space to study now because that is a common thing. It's like, um, you know, you, you stop training as much and you actually take some time to look at what you want to achieve in life and um, hobbies or long-term goals. And suddenly you do have the time and space to put energy into things that really excite you. Like studying could have its lulls, but at the same time, you're really excited to take this new career path. And that that feels great and obviously you're not getting worn down to the bone from energy expenditure because you know you're taking your time you're learning things that excite you and like that sounds really pleasant that sounds like a nice way to spend your days it does and that's something that I'm sure you would know and anyone else who's who's actually gone through recovery is you have more time for everything else so much more time (laughs) um but you underestimate because you sort of you start to block your training into these like these windows of time periods that you kind of lose track as to how much time you're allocating because it starts off as 45 minutes and it ends up as two and three hours and you don't know just 10 more minutes 10 more minutes um how long did it take you to recover your period from the time I guess you were more consciously putting the effort in so you you from when you said no gym for four weeks, was it long from then till your cycle come back? 
in about four months. Wow, that's awesome. That long at all. Yeah, no, that's but at the same time, you'd been trying to restore your health for quite some time. And I love explaining that to women where it it might sound like four weeks all in or eight weeks all in. But if you look at when the journey really began, there could have been six months on top of that, six months of reducing training just a smidge, working on eliminating stress, working on eating just a little bit more. And then the timeline tends to only stop from that all in part or when they started a program or something like that and it can be disheartening if you're only hearing four week blocks eight week blocks but it's really important to know the whole story um, because there's so much more to it and the lead up is really important yeah because mine like when I decided to you know like when I call when I you know started to go see the psychologist and made made the decision to go into recovery for the eating disorder as well I knew that that was also going to be part of I wanted to get my period back as well to me they were always kind of they were quite intertwined so I started in November last year so so that's you know yeah another that's that's more like a year of recovery because that's the thing isn't it if you've got um like eating disorders which most of us do who have HA that's the pinnacle of recovery it's like you if you recover your period and you've still got your eating disorder lingering, like that can be just as challenging. Like at the end of the day, that eating disorder has, it needs to be resolved and whether you do it by yourself or by seeing a psychologist or a physician or whatever method you take, um, it's so important to your, like your overall just living a healthy life is to be able to just be free around food and not have all of these thoughts attached or emotions attached as well. It's, that you can be in a place where it is just food. Because did you remember hearing anyone say that to you back in the midst of it? They're like, oh, it's just food. And you'd be like, oh my God, it's not just food. There's so many decisions attached to whatever you choose to eat. Yeah, yeah. Mine, and now I can look at food and be like, oh, like I I still might make, um, you know, conscious food decisions, but it's very different to what it was back, back then. Yeah, very much the same. It requires much less brain power now. Um, it's just not as, there's not as much thinking behind it, I, I guess. It's not not as much as a, a stress or an effort. It's much more free. Um, there's always, the hard part for me is there's always an element of, of needing to think a bit more than perhaps the average person because mm-hmm. of my other health issues, like having IBD. Yeah. You know, I can't have certain things because of, health issues um so I still have that sort of consideration but it's yeah it's definitely not not like it used to be um and I know that that's yeah some people don't really quite understand that yeah it's not just food and that has has been a big part of why I've gone down the path of like studying you know a degree in nutrition because it's just something that I I I'm so fascinated by it and I know that it's more than just just food to to me and so many other people so it's yeah it's really become such such a big interest of mine that I'm really excited to see where that takes me to yeah and we can't wait as well because we're obviously going to link your details in the show notes so it is um the healthy underscore lawyer on Instagram which I'll pop in the show notes um because yeah for anyone who wants to reach out and have a chat with you you know you you can shine so much light on eating disorder recovery HA recovery um and then the IBD as well because it it tends to be one of those conditions that actually is quite common in society but no it's one person mentions it and then a few others pop up and go oh me too me too me too so 
um, it's great that you've come to a place where you can manage it really well because from my understanding it takes people quite a long time and investigation to actually get to a place where they can manage it to the best of their ability yeah it is and look that's a whole nother that's a whole nother story the whole <laughs> journey of getting um, diagnosed which many people who have it would be the same it's it's not a straightforward thing to do um, and it for me I, I will have to be on the drugs that I'm on for the rest of my life more likely than not which is which is fine because luckily they're not very they're not hard the hardcore ones and I'm it's manageable but um, yeah look it's something that can make so many other things more complex so I hope that who knows? Like, I don't know what's going to happen with my studies because I'm only one year down of the, the part-time degree, but um, I would like to be able to help people who have similar conditions with, you know, having IBD or IBS, but then also having HJ has really sparked that interest and passion for women's health as well. Um, and yeah, eating disorder recovery and HJ, as I'm sure it has yourself as well. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm just so excited to see what happens in the next couple of years. I think you're going to be absolutely amazing. And I can be like, she was here first, ladies. She was here first. <laughs> thank you. Um, as always, thank you so much for coming on. Guys, I'll leave all the information in the show notes and we will see you in the next episode. If you could like, subscribe or share, that would be absolutely amazing. And thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks. <laughs>